about being the student pastor here at Real Life is that when we uh, get to kick off summer, we get to do awesome events like this. And so if you're an outgoing eighth grader um, or you're just about to graduate, this event is for you um, in high school. And that is next Tuesday, June 5th, uh, 5 to 7. And you will not want to miss this event. If you need more details about it, you want to talk to me about it, come see me afterwards. But um, it is legitimately like a war path of paint. And uh, it's crazy. Uh, there's like this giant box in the field, and you get a color, and you're slapping people with wet paint socks, and you're throwing powder paint in each other's eyes, and it's great. Um, so if you like that, this event is for you. Um, don't worry, we wear goggles. I, I just want to, safety is a priority. Um, but uh, summer is one of my favorite times. And me and my family, we just got back from vacation, um, and we went to Savannah. And Savannah is just wonderful. It's so great, and it's awesome. And we got to go to the beach, and I love the beach. But part of the reason why I love the beach is because the beach is when people come out to play. You know what I mean? Like, it's summertime. Like, in the wintertime, when I, me, the people watcher, get to go watch people and study people, I have to, like, go to Walmart during winter months, which is great. I mean, there's all kinds of great people um, but, like, that's my people-watching thing. But when you go to the beach in the summer, like, that's where the people go, and you can watch the people. And there's all kinds, all kinds of people at the beach that you can study and learn from and watch. And so today, I'm actually going to give you three, uh, I'm going to give you three things of what an awesome family is. Three things that I've noticed of what an awesome family is. But first, while I was sitting on the beach, I had this epiphany. I just became a dad eight months ago. So I have a beautiful baby daughter. She's chubby, and she's cute, and she's bald. But, uh, but she loves the beach. She also loves eating the sand at the beach, which is why Ariel won't leave her with me anymore, because she ate the sand. Uh, wasn't my fault. It's just so fast. She's got fast reaction time. Uh, but uh, I love the beach. I noticed while I was there, when I just, I just became a dad, so I'm studying other dads. I'm looking at other dads. I'm like, whoa, kind of dad are you, right? Trying to shape my own dadhood, if that's what you want to call it. And so I've noticed eight types of dads at the beach, okay? And I want to give you these eight types of dads. One is the playful pop. If, you, if you've seen him or if you've seen his war path, bent seesaws and broken swings are a sign that he's been through the area. He's great advice on kids play. He wants to be one of the kids. Two is the hover dad which you can almost hear the helicopter blades swirling as the dad follows his kids around. Sometimes they might literally be attached to a leash or a safety, right? Or maybe like the little monkey backpack or something cool, right? I was like one of those kids, I'm pretty sure. Um, three is the hipster dad, which is one of my personal favorites. He passes around a petition to have the water fountain changed to organic water. One day you return to the playground to find that the wood chips have been replaced with compostable lead certified artisanal chips from an old iron workshop in Brooklyn, New York. He's a dad to ask about the best craft breweries for bringing children and possibly a dog, always a mixed breed, who is, you know, being brought in because that's what's in. I got one of those, just saying. The absent-minded papa, which you can often hear him saying, hey, is this your stroller or mine? This dad can never remember which gear is his or even what his kid is wearing. Be careful about this dad just wandering off with your things. He doesn't mean to do it. He just has a lot on his mind. Then there's a geek dad, which is why you're at the beach and you're like, why is Batman at the beach? 
It's just this dad doing his best to participate in his child's interests. He might also be dressed as a stormtrooper to his kids, Darth Vader. This dad loves playing dress-up with his kids and showing them the ropes of his favorite games and movies. Then there's the handyman dad. This daddy fix-it knows how to solve any problem that can be solved with a wrench or a hammer. He built his kid's crib from a tree that was struck by lightning, while you could barely follow the IKEA instruction manual and are still wondering where that leftover screw goes. Then there's the coach. He's always coaching his kid to be the next badminton superstar. His parenting style may be intense and commanding, but he gets results. The team always wins, even if you're not sure any, if any of the kids actually want to be playing or not. But the pizza parties are fun. Then there's the Manny. His own kids just aren't enough. He's watching everyone else's too. He can be a great asset when you need a hand, but you may want to keep him at arm's length or your child might get confused on who his real parent is. See, what I really noticed in studying the family and studying dads is there's no, real, there's no real science to being a family. There's no, like, book that says, okay, this is how you do it. It's, it's more like an art form. Like, you, you have to paint the picture as to what your family will look like. You have to mess up, and you have to do things wrong in order to figure out. And so it's more like an art than it is a science. And this isn't really about being a dad, but it is about being a family. So the three things that I'm going to give you today of what I noticed in my life of what an awesome family is. One is awesome families grow together. Everyone has to encourage everyone to grow. When you're a parent, you encourage your kids to grow. When you're a, when you're a kid, you encourage your parents to grow. You have to encourage your parents to get better as well. And so in Luke 2.52, it says this, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So he gives us this playbook of how to grow as a family, how to grow individually. One is wisdom. So we have to grow with wisdom. We have to grow intellectually. Each one in the family has to grow smarter and smarter and smarter. It doesn't end at any certain point, but we always want to become smarter. And then two is stature, physically, something I wasn't gifted with. Or at some point, we all hit our growth physically, but then we keep growing physically, but it's not like positive growth, you know? Like, that might be where I'm at at the age of 26. But We grow physically, stature, we grow physically. We want to nurture our kids into growing physically. And then three is favor with God. So we want our family to grow spiritually, each one of us. We want the mom to grow spiritually. We want the dad to grow spiritually. We want our grandparents to grow spiritually. Our whole family, the kids, we want everyone to grow spiritually. And so we have to nurture and create this environment of growth. And then finally, favor with man. So socially, we want our kids to be socially acceptable, right? Like, we don't want our kids to run out there and be like, you stink, uh, and to everyone, you know? Like, that was me. I was a horrible kid, and I just said things that popped in my head, and I'm pretty sure I embarrassed my parents constantly, but it's okay. But here's the thing. Out of the four things, out of those four things, I feel like I was always given this chance to grow. I, I feel like I was always encouraged to try new things. Um, I was always encouraged to do things, and I wasn't a great student. I didn't do well in high school because I was lazy, but... My parents always encouraged me. They said they would use words, they would use phrases like, hey, when you go to college, right? They wouldn't say if you went to college or whatever. They encouraged me by saying, hey, when you go to college, because you can do this. They were encouraging me by using those sentences. And I'm pretty sure they didn't even mean what they were saying. I'm pretty sure they thought that I wasn't going to go to college. But, like, they still encouraged me to go to college, right? It was an encouragement. They also encouraged me in other things. Like, they encouraged me in sports. My family's a big Sports fan, I was born in Lexington, Kentucky, and my dad is a huge Kentucky Wildcats fan. 
like huge. His whole family, they're like, I bleed blue. And they, a southern accent thing, you know, whatever. Uh, so in seventh grade, my dad encouraged me to, you know, be physically active. And he was like, hey, man, you should play basketball because it's his favorite sport. Well, yeah, if you're in my family and you look at height, maybe even weight, maybe, you know, athletic ability, vertical, um, basketball really isn't our sport. He was like, hey, listen, you're the tallest guy in our immediate family, so maybe it's for you, right? With, no, it's not. Uh, unless airballing and getting swatted out of the gym is for you, basketball was not my sport. But I was encouraged, and even afterwards, even after failing, um, I was encouraged to be like, okay, well, listen, maybe these are more your avenue. Football, baseball, that seems more like your thing. You're good at that. Do that, right? So it wasn't even like, wow, you were really bad at basketball. Uh, it was just encouragement to go somewhere else. So learning from your family is important. And there's five things before you're 18 that you kind of learn from your family, right? Five things before you're 18 that you learn from your family. Even afterwards, you can learn these things. So I'm not saying that they're set in stone. You can learn a little bit, but unconsciously, this is what you learn before you're 18. One is what do you do with feelings, right? So we've met people who are emotional train wrecks. They did not learn this. Uh, me sometimes included. Two, how to handle conflict. Three, how to handle loss. Four, what values matter most. Five, good habits. All of these things you learn before you're 18. If you want your kid to work hard, you're taught that from a young age. You're not taught that later on. You're taught that from a young age. If you want your kids to, to incorporate a set of values that, you've, that you feel is important for your family. My family always went to church. They always served. That is what my family did. So I... I caught on to that. They didn't have to tell me. That was something that I learned that their values were. That's what I knew that my dad and my mom thought were, mattered the most, that they valued most. And uh, Kinley, speaking of my daughter, uh, is eight months, and she always does something really funny. And it's funny when I look to my eight-month and my daughter, and, and then I, I learn things from her. Um, but I learn from her how she learns from us. And so one of the funny things that she does is uh, she loves her mom. So she sits in her lap all the time. And, you know, everyone wants to come up and talk to the baby because it's a baby and why not? And they're cute and they're bald and they're chubby. Um, and they drool everywhere. So why not? So they walk up and they're like, oh, look at the baby. Look at the baby. And they do like the, the weird baby stuff that adults do. And they're like, oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, right? Um, and so Kinley does the same thing every time, which is how I know that she's my daughter. She looks straight at that person in the face, and she goes. <laughs> and she just stares at him. And then she, like, no matter what you're doing, it's just like this blank stare. The thing is, is she's trying to figure out what you're doing. Now, the next step is, is the best part for me. Kinley, who is sitting, looking at you, doing your weird adult stuff. Ah, baby. Um, Kinley turns around and looks at Ariel as if to be like, is this Okay. Is this funny? Should I interact with this person? What is happening? Right? And then Ariel does one of two things. Ariel looks at Kinley and she says, yeah, it's okay. This is funny. And she smiles. And if she does that, then Kinley turns around and she goes, <laughs> right? It's great. Yeah, and she smiles back at you and she does her little laugh and you're like, nice sympathy laugh. We'll work on it. Uh, and then two is uh, she turns around, looks at Ariel, and Ariel's like, and then Kinley turns around and she goes, 
same blank face, right? She's actually learning from Ariel how to, like, how to treat other people or how to act around other people or what emotions are okay, um, what emotions are. She doesn't know what funny is, but she's learning what funny is. Um, she is learning these kinds of things from us, from Ariel. So she looks at us. Um, she looks at us to see how she should react, and that doesn't stop. No matter how old your kid is, no matter what they talk like, no, it, no matter if you're an adult and your grandparents are like old or whatever, you don't stop looking at the people around you, your family members, for what's what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. How you handle conflict, how you handle loss, you always look at the people around you for answers. And so it's one thing to say, okay, this is what you learn. It's another thing to say, okay, this is how we. This is how we learn it. And there's two ways to help you grow and two ways to not help you grow as a family. One is you grow through example, right? In John 13, 14, 5, it says this, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you the example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So most of the time, we and our family want to tell people about Jesus. But the thing is, is what I've learned is that in the family, no one wants to hear your sermon. They want to see it. They actually want to see your actions. They don't want to hear what you have to say about it. They want to see if your actions and your words match up. And they want to see your actions first. Because they mimic you first, then they listen to you. And then two is through conversations. See, if your family was anything like mine, we sat around the table all the time and we just talked about uh, grades, homework, scheduling, and where we're going to eat next. That is what my family talked about all the time. And I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm not even saying that you shouldn't do it because uh, you have to figure out where you're going to go eat, and it takes 30 minutes every time. But the thing is, is there are a lot of conversations that probably should have happened or could have happened uh, with more intentionality, right? There's conversations on how I act, how I treated someone today, or whatever that is. There are conversations that I needed to have about Jesus, about what we believe as a family, or whatever. Those conversations needed or need to be worked in somewhere. In Deuteronomy 6, 7, it says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. So Jesus is saying, okay, listen, here, talk about, talk about these things that are important all the time. Work them into what you're doing. If you're on vacation, talk about things then. If you're at home, talk about things then. If you're going to bed, talk about the things that are important then. If you're waking up, talk about the things that are important then. See, the, the, the power of conversation is really, really big. And here's how you don't grow. Here's the two things to not grow. One is through criticizing. This is focused on, on what you don't want and not on what you want, right? And I know we've all been around people who are like, no, don't do that. And you're like, okay, back to the drawing board. I'm going to figure out what this person wants, right? To figure out what's acceptable, what to do next. See, when you flip it and you say, okay, this is what I want. One, it doesn't tell you that you're in the wrong. It's just saying, hey, this is a direction. This is a path for you to go towards. I'm helping you work towards this, right? And then two is uh, it reinforces the negative, makes failure a reality. Anytime that you speak something you can speak it into existence. Words are powerful, and that's why the Bible tells us that. If you tell someone that they're ugly for the rest of their life, at some point, they're going to believe you when you tell them they're ugly. They're going to believe it in their heart. If you tell someone that they're beautiful for the rest of their life every single day, at some point, they're going to say, okay, I'm beautiful and I'm valued. Words are powerful, so you have to set the tone for your family on what you're going to say and how you say it and how you speak it. 
And then the worst in my mind is criticizing leads to uh, giving up. So when people are like, I, I just can't please my dad, so I'm just not going to try. Or like, my mom is never happy, so I'm just not going to do it. Or like, my kid is so ungrateful, they're never going to be grateful. Whatever. Giving up. And we can't do that. And then we also don't grow through comparing. Don't compare your spouse and don't compare your kids. Everyone is so uniquely different, so uniquely wired. And speaking of speaking things into reality, if, they, if you're comparing people, I'm pretty sure that they see it and they feel it. And so that becomes a reality. And you can't compare your kids, right? Like one kid could be like the dad. One kid could be like the mom. And the other kid gets the worst traits of everybody, right? You just never know. You, just, you have no clue how they're going to turn out. And so they're unique. And the way that you talk to them and the way that you, you interact with them is unique. The second trait of an awesome family is to serve and inspire. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, Live happily with your woman with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of, the, of life that God has given you under the sun, the, lo, the wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. See, our wife, our family, the family that we've been given is our reward for living on this earth and dealing with the hardships of this earth, right? That's our reward. And so we have to view them as our reward, but we also have to view them as something precious and we have to see them and ask ourselves questions. Okay, what am I a model of? Because the relationships that your kids see, that your spouse see, that you're the model of relationships that they have, which is kind of scary. They look at your friendships and they say, okay, that's what a normal friendship looks like, however that may look. Or they look at your, they look at your marriage and they go, okay, that's what a normal marriage looks like, whatever that may look like. They look to you to model those relationships in their life. And in student ministries, we always pride ourselves on, uh, we always pride ourselves on having a relational student ministries. We love hanging out with students. We love being with students. We just want to get to know them. We want to know their story. And we want to be around them all the time. That, that is what we pride ourselves on. We want to be a friend that gives them comfort and gives them a place to look for Jesus. That, that is what we do. Um, and so similar we have to have a relational relationship with our kids, with our whole family. We have to have a relational, intentional relationship. It's similar to God and us. See, we call God Father, and we call him Father for a reason, because he's loving, he's compassionate, he's there for us, he's there to help pick us up. He is our Father. And so we have to treat our kids the same way. Hey, listen, you made a mistake. I'm loving, and I'm compassionate, and I'm there for you. Or, hey, listen, you're really ticking me off right now, but I love you, and, I, I'm, and we're compassionate, and I'm here for you, and I'll walk through this with you. And in order to be relational, we have to let our family in on our decisions. One of my least favorite times, that, or one of my least favorite moments that I've ever had of my dad when I was a kid is when he just told me what to do. I have like a super bad rebel streak that I'm trying to work through, but like when someone just tells me what to do, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. You're mean about it. Whatever. Um, and so when my dad was like, dude, listen, this is how you have to do it. This is what you did do. I'm like, I don't have to do it that way. But when my dad was compassionate, when my dad was loving, it was a different, it was a different approach. When my dad was loving and apologetic, he would come to me and he would say, listen, I'm not always right, but here's why I would do it this way, whatever. When he came to me in a loving, apologetic way, things changed for me. I viewed him even differently. And he was like, okay, listen, I'm giving up 
perfection. I don't need to be a perfect parent because I know I'm not a perfect parent. And you, not, you know I'm not a perfect parent, but you're just waiting for me to say that I'm not. And so the day that he actually said it, hey, I'm not a perfect parent. I need things to work on. I'm just doing this with you, and we're both trying to figure it out together. The moment he said that, I gave my dad a lot of grace. I gave him a lot of leeway, and I gave him a way bigger leash. So be loving and be apologetic. And do something worth everyone's time. When you serve, your kids are, are inspired. See, some of the greatest moments in student ministry that I can think of is when a kid comes into student ministry and they, they go, Reed, where can I serve? I just want to serve. My parents serve. My parents in the coffee shop. My, my dad collects money. Uh, I serve. They serve, so I serve. And so they say, okay, where can I serve? See, you've inspired your kids to be a part of this, to, to love this and to be a part of it. And so it's great when they are inspired by the family, by you guys. So do something worth everyone's time and serve your kids. And then view, view the time you have with them as opportunities. My dad always viewed everything as an opportunity, I believe. Uh, he would say, okay, I need to fix the sink. I need to change a tire. I need to change the brakes, whatever. And I'm pretty sure he knew that I was worthless. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, he was like, I'm going to braid ring along, and I know that he's not going to help at all. Other than holding things, I would just look at him fix things, and I'd be like, yeah, that looks like a problem. And in actuality, I just did that over this last week as his toilet was leaking, and I was like, dude, that's an issue. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. And I'm pretty sure he knew that. But, uh, but my dad viewed this as an opportunity to be with me. He viewed this as an opportunity that, like, okay, I know that Reed isn't really bringing any value to the situation, but I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to love him. This is my chance to be around him, to have conversation with him, to talk about his day, to ask him how he's doing. He viewed these, these moments as an opportunity. Likewise, my mom would be like, okay, listen, I'm going to go shopping. Do you want to come with me? And I'm pretty sure I agitated her because I would just grab stuff off the shelf and hide it in the cart and see if she noticed. Uh, it's a game for me. I'm pretty sure I agitated her, but my mom viewed this as an opportunity. She viewed it as an opportunity to spend time with me. She had three kids, so one-on-one -on -one time is kind of rare every once in a while. And she viewed this as an opportunity to spend time with me, to be with me, to talk, to talk about my life, to talk about my friends, to ask me how I was doing, things like that. And then the third trait is awesome families have fun. Awesome families have to have fun. And in Ecclesiastes 8.15, it says this, So I recommend having fun because there is nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. We are entrusted with hard work. We are entrusted with a, a deep, hard life. And so he's saying, okay, with that, I'm expecting you to also have fun. I'm expecting you to offset that pendulum with fun. You have to have fun. And in, uh, Johann Huizinga, who wrote a book in 1930 about um, having fun, uh, he said this. He said, play is older than culture, for culture always presupposes human society, and the animals have not waited for man to teach them their playing. See, when I was in the aquarium, I love otters. I'm a big fan of otters. It's probably because uh, in my skill set, if you take week four of on-ramp, my skill set, my animal is an otter because I never stop moving or stop talking or whatever. Um, but I love watching them play. That is one of my favorite things. I could watch them for hours. Like if you watch fish, you're like, there's another one. 
there's another one, right? It's kind of like NASCAR, another left turn, whatever. Uh, fish, sorry for NASCAR fans, JR, if you're watching. Um, but otters just play all the time. They wrestle each other. They're tackling each other. Uh, when I went there, there was like three otters holding the other water's head underwater. And I'm not sure if that's playing or bullying, but like they, it looked like a good time. So like they must be playing. I, I'm sure three were playing and one was not. But still, and I'm not saying that you should do that to your family member either. Uh, that's not good. But I love watching them play. I love, I love that. And, and it's so naturally instilled in us. Like if, if we want to look at how to play or how to have fun or how important that is, look at animals. They play. They have fun. My dog wants to play constantly, and he won't stop, and he's always in my face, and he's got horrible breath. But he wants to play. That's like a part of who he is and what he does. And so likewise, we are supposed to play. We're supposed to have fun. And sometimes we put that to the side, right? Like, hey, listen, I'm too busy. This is the first thing to go is fun. Maybe not fun right now. I don't have time for fun. I don't have time to play. Schedule it out. We in student ministry feel like fun is a big thing. It is one of our core things. We love having fun. So we schedule fun. Paint wars. The entire thing is just about fun. We just want to have fun. We understand that fun connects each other, and it can connect your family. Fun connects. It's a glue. It connects your family. And we have to strive for balance. See, when we work too hard, when we work too hard, we get burnt out. We get burnt out. Uh, we get stressed. And fun is, is a chance for stress relief to avoid burnout. And we're actually more productive when play happens. When we get to play, we are actually more productive. When you do these three things, you'll always be remembered as a great family, as an awesome family. A family who loves each other and grows together. A family who loves each other so much so that they serve everywhere they come across and they inspire other people. And a, finally, a family who has fun. See, these aren't always that easy to do. And frankly, they're hard at times. But everything in life that's easy really isn't worth striving for. Take the time to practice these things this summer as a family. And I promise you'll love more deeply serve more compassionately, and you'll fund the crap out of everything that you do this summer. Let's pray. Lord God, I give you all the members of our family. You know them all so well and love them all. I ask that you would cover us with a rainbow of hope, hope that draws us together to work out our differences, hope that helps us to celebrate together and care for one another, hope that rides like a banner in our lives and watches over us wherever we go, hope that overcomes adversity and gathers strength to overcome, Hope that builds us and gives us vision for our future alone and together. Hope filled with love. Hope that fuels faith. Hope that breathes peace. May our family live in you underneath your promises. Amen. And before you go, I would just like to give you guys a blessing. So if you would stand and receive this blessing. If you see people hold out their hands, that's just what we do around here. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it. It's totally okay. Receive this blessing as you go. We are sent to love God, love people, and serve the world, and to have awesome families. Hug somebody and tell them you love them. Oh, wait, and real quick.